Welcome to Tab and our audience, our vast listening audience, another episode of Sales with Aslan, Selling with Aslan. Uh, yes. Tab, these episodes are getting more powerful and powerful as as we continue to build uh, a stellar list of guests, which uh, I know. we have one of those today. It's It really is. It's fun. I mean, I'm learning. Yeah, tons. I mean, I, I love mean, I mean, I'm writing notes. Things. You know, it's good when I go to my podcast notes page mm -hmm. to prepare for things. To yeah. You know what? Wait a minute. I, we talked about that the other day with a really smart person. Exactly. So. Yeah, and we're we're like, okay, we gotta we gotta intro this program. So we gotta, yeah. and we have so many great notes. It's hard to determine how are we going to set this podcast up? Cause we could go on for hours, which we don't, yes. we don't want to take away. So, no. so with, without, um, you know, let's just dive in and say who we've got. We've got a, a Andy Paul's on the show tab. Amazing. Um, great Amazing. guy. I was on his podcast and he was gracious enough to come on our podcast. And, um, he has got one of the most popular podcasts on selling called Sales Enablement with Andy Paul over 1100 episodes, millions of downloads. I mean, this guy's yep. legit. Uh, he's the author of three books. He's got his own sales training and consulting firm. Uh, he's uh, what, you know, what I love most about him tab is he's got street cred. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's not some guy that couldn't. So he teaches, yeah. you know, he, 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 de he developed his philosophy and the wisdom that he shares from selling over $600 million of technical solutions. So he's been super successful. Um, and then obviously he's worked with, you know, hundreds of leaders and sellers, maybe thousands of sellers over his career. So he's sharing his wisdom today, Tab, and I'm, and we're going to specifically dive into his new book that came out, I think just about a month ago, Sell Without Selling Out, A Guide to Success on Your Own Terms. Yeah, great book. And and I will say this, I, I'm going to make a decision because I get to as the co-host. Yeah, I don't right. have a lot of power, but this is kind of when I get to play it and I do it every <laughs> pulled, once in a while. You, you, you played the power co-host card? <laughs> I play it, play it, and, and you have no say. I get to do it. I have no I say. I can't override this. You can't it? override this. Mm -hmm. But we had so much good stuff. Um, we're going to divide this into two parts. Two parts, yes. Two parts. This is two parts. That was your call tab. So we're yes. going to have, you know, divide. So we're going to, yeah, focus on part one. And I think it, there's a natural break in this, in this podcast, because we first talk about the challenges the seller faces and how the traditional approach to selling and how I love this term, the predictable revenue playbook is working. You. It's just, it's not working. Right? <laughs> Everybody's doing the same thing. They're like, Hey, what is the predictable things we can do? And what process do we, do we need to implement to be successful and turn the dial? The problem is that process is working less and less effectively and everybody's doing the same thing. So it, you, people, reps are struggling to differentiate themselves. They're getting burned out and it's just not working, which is obviously what we're passionate about. So he's going to talk about how to develop your personal brand and what's the key to differentiating yourself now. And it is leading to winning more. And it not only tab is, is what he shares, which is what we're so passionate about. It's not just about winning more. It's about finding meaning and enjoying what you do. I mean, we, yeah, I love to elevate the role of sellers. We, we have an important role. People have problems, right? Their, mm -hmm. their, their, their livelihood, their jobs, their incentive is dependent upon us helping our customers solve their problems. And so he's passionate about that. And I think the more we understand our role in that process, 
and learning how decision makers make decisions, the more meaning we find, the more we enjoy it. And the, the beauty is you're more successful. Yeah, I totally agree. Great, great. This is a great time with Andy. Great time with Andy. So without further ado, let's dive in. Andy, Paul, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. Yeah, I was I was telling Tab about being on your podcast, and I said, mm -hmm. this guy is like an Aslan brother. <laughs> like, I felt like I met a brother from another. I mean, he, and then after I read his book, because yeah. I hadn't read his book when I was on his podcast, and after reading his book, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, like, you, he talks about the sign above the head, except he talks about the pop-ups above somebody's head yeah. that, that telecast their motive. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's like we were, it, it, we could finish each other's sentences. So um, he's cooler than we are, as we just discussed, because he has oh, yeah. offices, he has yeah, offices yeah. on both coasts. Yeah, yeah. I think see, that's really cool. We ask, almost ask my kids how cool Georgia. I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's is that the litmus test. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, well, awesome. we, we want to talk about your new book. Um, I was actually in the Charlotte airport recently, and mm -hmm. I and there's not many books in the airport bookstore. Right, right. There's you know there's just a smattering of books. I sometimes try to stop by and see maybe possibly my book could be in there so far. No. <laughs> and I look down on the shelf and there's like 15 books of your book selling in. You tell me the the title. Cause I don't, I don't want to screw it up. Sell without selling out. Selling with, that's what it is. Sell oh. without selling out. I want to say selling yeah. in because that's the kind of what you're teaching people. Yeah. Right. But sell without selling. And um, uh, so it was all back. So congratulations. I devoured the book, loved it. Oh, great. Uh, thank also, you very much. I also want to just say thank you for elevating the profession and, mm -hmm. and your message. It's just spot on. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh, been sort of a mission for a long time. So this is your third book? Third book, yes. Okay. So wow. sort of a late bloomer, just... <laughs> so uh, yeah, the books are sort of come over the last 10 years sort of chapter of my career. I never thought really would exist. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So how did you get into, how did you become an author? What was the, what was the catalyst of becoming an author? Just because you yeah. had this, you had to, you had to get it in writing. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I a couple of things. One is I'd had several ideas for books that I'd wanted to write and over the years, which I'd never gotten around to for one reason or another, and then uh, God, 2010, I got married and uh, moved from San Diego to New York where my wife has a real job and thought, okay, sort of disrupted my business a little bit. Maybe a good time to try to yeah. write that book. Mm. So like a lot of people, you write a book because you're a consultant, you think it's sort of a right. calling card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Builds credibility. Yeah. But then, yeah, a lot of people liked it. So um, I was really, I did everything backwards. You know, I hadn't been on social yet. I hadn't built a platform. I didn't have anything. The book came first and then I sort of backfilled. Um, oh, really? Well, we'll have yeah. to talk offline. Cause that kind of my story. It's like, yeah. we, you know, we have all the people, the, the, the people that have been trained through our organization Aslan. And so we're serving them, but we, you know, I was never, a pa I was never passionate about building a social media platform nor i don't think you are either Ted. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah well i mean it's 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 the way to 
get clients these days. So, yeah. you know, they've, I think the imperatives really changed over the last 10 years for sure. Especially mm -hmm. with regard to LinkedIn where it's, you know, it's, even at that time, people, if you said LinkedIn, 2010, 2012, most people thought, uh, you know, job site mm -hmm. type thing. But now it's where business is done. So, um, yeah, it's definitely legitimate. And I've learned to appreciate it because of, especially for LinkedIn and how, how people can communicate and you can get to know organizations and what their values are, mm -hmm. and who's contributing and the kind of content they're putting out. It becomes pretty easy to see you know, who you want to follow and who, who has similar approaches. And so I've, I found it a great way to build community. I mean, around your business, probably not necessarily personally. Yeah. I mean, well, it can go both ways, right? I mean, we, mm -hmm. we, as part of our business, it's part of the business my son runs. Um, yeah, it's really, it's a booming part of our businesses, helping people build their audiences and monetize them on LinkedIn. Okay. I didn't know that. So yeah, I mean, that's, I actually didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So even people that, uh, you know, we have some corporations that are clients, we have individuals or thought leaders sort of like us um, that are monetizing for the training businesses or their coaching practices. Um, yeah. Help you know, businesses are building pipeline Wow, using LinkedIn. And that's sounds sort of like they, we need to hire you. Yeah, exactly. we can talk about that offline. You may yeah. have to. Well, you know what? We're going to give Seriously. you a discount on this podcast. If, if oh, you, uh... perfect, perfect. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the the, the latest project, the book, "Sell sure. Without Selling Out." T tell us about the premise of the book. I know you talk about selling out uh, versus selling mm -hmm. in, and right. I love that concept. So, just talk to us about the premise of the book and 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 why that's why it's so important to shift from selling out to selling in. Yeah, it it the genesis really started with this idea that through my podcast and and since I'd written my second book, um, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, based on hundreds and hundreds of conversations on my podcast and the work I do with companies, it's like, wow, we're just not getting better at this thing called B2B selling. Yeah, and arguably so we're arguably we're getting worse. <laughs> I think the customer's getting fed up. The yeah. reps are staying the same. Yeah. And so, and yeah. you look at the external data points, whether it's CSO insight data or other companies, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you've seen the facts and figures, you know, mm -hmm. quota attainments dropping, win rates are dropping. It's like, and then you have these whole segments of industry, like uh, software industry, SaaS business that operate on incredibly low win rates, mm -hmm. you know, where the, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it's 20% win rates considered acceptable. And I'm like, what world am I living in where this is the case <laughs> where, where, you know, people don't even focus on this, what I consider as the most important metric that exists because this is the customer's referendum on how well you're doing. Yeah. And I chose you, I chose you, or mm -hmm. let's say in the book, yeah, more often you, you're not cho being chosen. And, and yeah. when you have these low win rates, what the buyer is basically doing is buying from you in spite of you not because of you oh, and, so and what a, and what a horrible place to be right yeah. you're a sales professional and ironically there are people hitting their numbers at those win rates which just speaks to how low the numbers are they have to, to hit yeah. but it's like how hard like, they have to work to find the few who will buy in spite of them yeah, yeah. and it's like it's and like that's miserable it's miserable even if you're succeeding that's gonna be horrible because as i like to say with <laughs> if you're only winning one of your of every five most qualified opportunities, mm -hmm. 
if practice makes perfect, what are you practicing day in and day out? Yeah. Losing. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. why, why do you want to be in that position? I mean, sure. You're not going to win every deal. I mean, but I, in my career, you know, pre-starting my consulting business, selling a range of, of tech products, both you know, hardware and subscription services and, and large complex communication systems. Yeah, it's about 63%, right? It's my win rate overall okay. that. Okay. From, you know, deals ranging up to nine figures. And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, just seem normal. And the people I managed, the teams I built, that's our way we aimed at. We aimed at least 50% as a, mm -hmm. a minimum. Say, look, we should get, if we have somebody that's really a qualified opportunity, qualified in the way mm -hmm. that we qualify them, then yeah. we should win. Um, so anyway. I Just love this all idea that, 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 that the reality that we see as a seller, those win rates, yeah, is not reality. Like it, it's it like I worked with a I met with a company a couple of weeks ago and their win rate was nine percent. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be that's that's not the standard. It doesn't have to be that. It's that's a choice. Cause we yes. work with other organizations where sellers outsell the second place seller yeah. two to one. Yeah. It's like yeah, they, no, it's, it's, it's definitely it's, a choice. It's, it's, you, it's, there is a way to learn how to sell and, and where you can actually, I've seen it when rates as high as 90%. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah. it's, now I think but, it's usually, usually that can happen only in organizations where you're selling more of a solution services that you can, you can, yeah. you know, you, you know, cause there's, it's hard to, you know, when you're selling something finite, like equipment, capital equipment, right. example, there's, you know, certain people just can't consume that, but. Right. But I mean, it's, it's this idea of the choice is so apropos because yeah, I remember this meeting a few years ago with the CRO of a publicly traded SaaS company and telling what his growth plans were for this following year. And, and, you know, it's all about top of funnel, right? Because mm -hmm. we have all these tools, we can generate tons of inbound demand and combine with our outbound programs. We get, you have tons of, you know, opportunity flow coming through. And I was just listening to it and saying, I oh, said, so we're going to invest in that. We've got finally tuned machine. We're going to hire a bunch of SDRs. We're going to I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Dials I can control. Right. And I'm saying, but I know, because I had spoken to one of his senior execs before. I said, I know your win rate's at 20%. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are you focused on in terms of increasing your win rate? Because increasing your win rate is probably a less expensive path to growing revenue than generating more, <laughs> more crap from your, your outbound and inbound programs. He just looked at me like I was from Mars. Yeah. And it was, it just hadn't crossed his mind. Well, then so a spreadsheet quite as well as his other stuff, probably. Well, yeah, but the thing is, it is, it is more controllable, right? I mean, yeah. sure, you can generate tons of, uh, as we've done with MarTech yeah. and our sales technology, we've <laughs> generated tons of opportunity flow. But people don't know how to qualify. They're working on too many deals at one time. And there's all these things that sort of going on. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I looked at that and said, okay, well, what's sort of the, what's one of the real problems? And in my mind, what I was seeing and experiencing and hearing was, yeah, everybody's just leaning into the process. Like we've got these processes now enabled by mm -hmm. our technology. And if we just follow the process, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's, I call it like sales becomes like a casino game. Right. We know if we mm -hmm. do these minimum number of things, mm -hmm. we're going to win 20% mm -hmm. of our deals. And it's like, 
yeah, but wow, A, that sucks. And B, you know, there's a way to change that. And the way to change that is focusing on the part that the buyer really focuses on is what's their experience with the seller. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And and that's a, yeah, you, you, um, that also I think leads to the why engagement so low. If my success rate is, is 20%, my fail rates, 80% of my success rate is 10%, whatever it is in my fail rate. Mm-hmm. That's why reps are, you know, they don't want to do the casino game because the odds are greatly against them. And, yeah, and we, but they're not, know, a, they're not equipped to do differently. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. All they know yeah. is their culture. It's what they do. They're just, they get plugged in the system and then they go. Right. And so I, I remember a few years ago, I <laughs> got a call from a potential client and they said, you know, I'd love to have you come work with us. And yeah, you I know, started doing a little discovery, exploring. Mm-hmm. Some, and they had just spent a shitload of money with mm-hmm. a very high profile sales training company uh, that focuses on the software world. And I said, okay, well, why do you need us? You just, yeah, invest us as well, because we got done training and figured out we still don't know how to sell. <laughs> After training? Yeah, well, we just because wrapped it up. They have a process, <laughs> right. but the everything was about everything was about the process, right? Just follow yeah. the process. Yeah, these are the numbers, yeah. And the metrics are important, don't mistake me. But at the end of the day, it's still a human selling to a human. Yeah. And, you know, there's people trying to convince generations of younger generations of sellers that, yeah, this human stuff's just not that important. You know, just execute the process. Yeah. And it's just not true. Yeah. And you talked about, you said in the book, buyers don't need your process. Not at all. So (laughs) what, and I know you're talking about sort of the dials that you sort of the productivity dials that you look at and just, Hey, follow the the quote unquote Mm -hmm. process related to that. But there's also the process of how I try to move an opportunity or customer through the funnel. So what do you see that's fundamentally broken about that process and why, why are reps resistant to changing it? (laughs) I'm not sure how much reps are versus leaders. Okay. Plus, you think it's you know, a leader I think, group. Yeah. I think it's a leader issue, but mm-hmm. you know, when I was doing the research for the book, I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's do research on sales process. Mm-hmm. So if you just go to Google and you Google sales process, you know, and you check for the images mm-hmm. and among the hundreds of thousands of diagrams you see is they're all the same. Yeah, and they it, are. And, and the thing that was striking was, they are the same thing I was trained on four decades ago. <laughs> the process hadn't changed at all. The only thing we had done is we'd put a layer of automation on it. Right. But the thing that's problematic is that doesn't relate to what the buyer is going through at all. And as long as we're yeah. sort of on these parallel paths, we're going to continue to be, you know, continue to be struggling. So yeah, it's, we have to get to a point where, Sellers and buyers are using the exact same terminology about where the buyer stands in their process. Yeah, that that is so easy to change, but it's it just doesn't happen. But if we centered it around how does a buyer need to make decisions and how do we eliminate risk from that process and helping them? Because you talk about that in the book is how mm-hmm. do I simplify and just help the buyer make a decision and figure out what they need? Then if we orient around that, it makes it much easier to move the deal forward because you are 
are, are offering next steps based on what's best for them, them, not on the process that was given to you by your leadership. Um, yes, absolutely. And, so, and I get it. It's all built into your CRM and it's all, we organize it by stages, but I think we could at least offer what's the customer's objective at each one of those stages and how do we, how do we understand or at least orient around how, what helps them make the decision. And I think there's just a, it's a big gap. Yeah. And you've probably seen, you know, Gartner's diagram that came out three or four years ago, their mm -hmm. buyer enablement diagram, you know, the buyer journey, which is right. called the spaghetti diagram, which is mm -hmm. this complex drawing flow yeah. chart. Yeah. And you say, okay, well, that's how the buyer perceives what they're doing. Now you look at sales process. Oh, it's this five stage linear process. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. goes do, do, do. And it's like, these are in different universes altogether. Yeah. And when the first time I'd seen the the Gartner diagram, I was in a meeting with some Gartner folks and it showed it. And it's like, it was just like, oh my God, at last somebody figured this out. This is what I had experienced over the years. Yeah. Was it was never this linear, neat linear process. It mm -hmm. was this it's fluid, messy, chaotic process to try to get anything done. And then I say, well, geez. Yeah, I had actually a conversation with Brent Adamson, Brent Adamson a few weeks ago about this. I said, so Brent, tell me this. I know you're not at Gartner any longer, but uh, how many companies looked at what you guys did saying this is the buying process and said, mm -hmm. let's change our sales process to try to better align with what the buyer is going through? And the answer was a couple. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. So yeah. let's, let's just deny the buyer's reality and let's just focus on what we're doing and that will get us to the point we need to be. And it's, you know, it's just not working and it's working less successfully than it ever has. And I, yeah, I think if we're, if it's a great point, I think if they're, if as a sales organization is willing to at least just overlay the sales or the customer process, or buying process, which by the way, is being embraced in marketing, mm -hmm. right? Marketing is all about, you know, the customer journey and how to create the customer journey on the website. If we would do the same thing in sales and just overlay that and say, yeah, we have our intuitive steps that we follow, but if we can also look at what's the buyer journey, I don't think that's that difficult. I know it's not fluid or I should say chronological because we go back and forth, but at least we can understand the stages that they go through and we, and it does move back and forth depending on who you're working with and where you are in the process. But I think that's an easy fix. Well, I think there's a way to simplify mm -hmm. what Gartner had come up and what they had found out through their research to, to make it more applicable to sellers. So I, I like to say there's only three stages in the oh, buying that's simple. process. Okay. Hmm. And, and again, maybe risk oversimplification, but you can fit details in it. Mm -hmm. Is the buyers basically go through three motions and I call it the what, the how, and the who. Mm -hmm. And the what stage is what's our challenge and what are the outcomes that we can achieve by addressing our challenge. Mm -hmm. And once we've settled on that, then we go to market and say, okay, how are we going to achieve that? Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk to sellers. We'll talk to vendors. We'll look and see, is there something? And we'll formulate n number of options that will enable us to achieve our desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. And your job as a seller is that when the buyer's formulating those options, that there's a Tom and tab sized hole in a number mm -hmm. of those options that you fit in, right? You're trying to get yourself designed into those mm -hmm. options. And the third order decision for the, the customer is, well, who am I going to do this with? 
you know, one's about the need, the problem and the solution. And the other's about the who, yeah, is right. who, who, who so, I need to work with. And so part of the reason I frame it this way is because, you know, you hear all this, again, the research from an analyst mm -hmm. firm saying, oh my God, buyers no longer want to talk to sellers. Mm -hmm. Right. And my first reaction to that was, well, what's new? I don't think in the recorded history of mankind, no buyers ever wanted to talk to a seller. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Oh, I sure hope Andy calls me today. Um, <laughs> but they need to talk to sellers. And that's mm. the thing is, is in order for the buyers to, what do they need to talk to sellers? Well, they need sellers to come in and ask them questions they don't know to ask themselves, give them insights they you know, haven't come across in their own business, might help them understand their challenges and their potential outcomes. So to think more deeply and broadly about what they're trying to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the what stage. And if you're coming in and pitching before you understand those things, before the buyer even understands them, nothing's going to happen no. because you're pitching somebody that has no clear understanding of what even their problems or potential outcomes they want are. I think that's one of the easiest ways to create competitive advantage in a mm -hmm. genuine way is to help them figure out what problem do they have? What challenges make sense of that? And you talk about yes. understanding and I want to, I want to dive into the four pillars, right. you, you know, understanding is one of those keys. And, and help them figure out how it may not, they may not need your solution. We don't know what solution they need, but what is it that they, what, what, how do they need to address that problem? Is the problem real? How do they need to address it? Which may include your solution may not. And honestly enter into that as a, as a consultant that can add value to that. And when you get involved with that mindset and the ability to speak to that and you make that part of your process versus the pitch, Mm -hmm. Right. Or the presentation. I always say you want to make a recommendation, not a presentation. Exactly. And well, and to your point, though, is, is that, you know, at the end of the what stage, mm -hmm. ideally, you really haven't even talked about your product that much. No. Right. And because mm -hmm. what you're trying to do at that point is coalesce around an understanding with the buyer that, yes, this is it. These are the things. This is this is the pain. This is, yeah, the vision we can see of uh, where we could go to get, you know, the outcomes we want. You told a story about a, a European technology company. I think it was European technology where you met with the board, 12 board members. And instead of making a presentation, you just went to the flip chart and started right. drawing, drawing. And was that all around your, uh, so talk a little bit about that, but was that all around the, the three motions that you just discussed or were you doing that? live were you kind of doing it live okay but it was the desire was to say look i think that our you know competitive advantage oftentimes was especially at that company was that we just understood people better mm -hmm. than the buyers better than our competitors and it was just it was group of really smart people that worked for engineers yeah. that that were real problem solvers and very innovative and creative and and didn't feel bound you know by yeah this is a product but hey you know we'd be willing to make a change you know if, if it felt it met the customer's needs but but we just became so ingrained that yeah we just want to understand right mm -hmm. we want to make sure we understand better in fact we're going to be a key to helping you, the buyer, understand as well. So yeah. that, yeah, the end of that story was getting the order and, you know, why, 
the customer said, because you made us feel understood. Yeah. And it requires patience, right? You don't want to jump in and just yeah. get in, pitch your product. It's, it's about you. It's about the buyer. Let's see if we can mm. understand. And when you have these you know, stages delineated the way we do them traditionally in sales, you always feel this inherent pressure. How do I get to the next stage? Right. Uh, how do I finish discovery? Mm -hmm. And this is you know, this story. You never finish discovery. Yeah. You know, and you put discovery in a box and you say, look, as many people do, well, here are the exit criteria for our discovery stage. Mm -hmm. Like you're really kidding yourself if you think you really understand <laughs> fully at that point, right? They don't fully understand. They don't they fully mean. understand. Yeah, it's right. a constant evolving, changing, dynamic yes. situation. Right. That you're always, you know, yeah, you're always adjusting. And, um, what what happens when a buyer goes through their buying process? So they get smarter mm -hmm. about their their options. Yeah. And so if you're stuck based on, hey, this is this is what our discovery was, and this is how we quote unquote qualified them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's easy. If you say, I'm going to ask three or four questions that help me tee up what product I want or solution I want to present. Sure. So that you call it listening to, listening to sell basically. Yeah. Listening, listening to respond. To, as well as listening to, to respond, not listening yeah. to understand. Then that's, that's kind of easy. You, you know, it's like, I, I'm waiting for you to say, yes. Okay. Now I can respond to that because otherwise I don't know where you're going and I don't know how to respond to that. And that may require work and it, and it may require, um, as you call it, intellectual humility. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Admitting that. you don't know something. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the great, you know, formative parts of my career were, um, you know, working in environments where we didn't have a product to sell. Mm -hmm. And so I tell the story in the book where, yeah, I go to work to a small startup. They were doing some defense work and the CEO hired me to start a commercial division of the company. Mm -hmm. And I said, great. So, you know, <laughs> what are we going to sell? Like, oh, you sell whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well, who do we sell to? Well, whoever you want. Yeah. You know, the only requirement was, is that the customer had to not only pay for the production of the product, they had to pay for all the R&D as well. So it was, you know, custom build. Well, in that case, when you really, like I said, you, you don't have a set ICP, you don't have a set yeah. uh, product and a set solution. The customer really have to go out, ask questions, and listen, and just the focus on really understanding. And and as I write about the book, you know, this is why this idea of persuasion that I write about is sort of dangerous, is because mm -hmm. you know, how could I in those situations, how could I go persuade somebody that this was the best solution to a problem they didn't know they had, with yeah. a product that didn't exist. Which I think is the perfect world for someone that really knows how to influence. Like that's the best job in the world is when you've got a blank slate and you can understand what the, but for the, right. for the, the low level seller who needs the bullet points and the pitch slides or the demo, they're in trouble. I think that's a. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, right. I mean, people operate at different levels, but I think more, more salespeople are capable of doing that than their managers want to give them credit. Yeah, I love we're that. doing, if we enable them appropriately, if we enable mm -hmm. them to say, look, what's my job as a salesperson? Mm -hmm. Again, right about this in the book is, you know, if you ask most sellers, and I've done this with some, I gave a keynote right before the pandemic, so we're a prominent SaaS company. And I sort of, you know, casually did a poll to the room and said, so what's your job as sellers? Mm -hmm. And it, all came back some variation of my job is to persuade somebody to buy my product. You're right. Right. 
I'm like, well, no, that's not your job at all. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. our job is to understand the buyer, understand things that are truly most important to them in terms of challenges they face and the outcomes they achieve and then help them get that. Now, if you take the first approach that your job is to persuade somebody to buy your product, this whole idea of understanding them sort of falls by the wayside because it doesn't really matter whether they understand really or not. My job is to persuade you to buy my product yeah, irrespective of right. <laughs> yeah. whether and, I understand you or not. Yeah. And they know, I mean, your motive, right? Oh, it's, instantly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the, so it's, it's, and you obviously, yeah, to your point, Tab, is you're not able to build the levels of trust you want when your motivations, I mean, you want your motivations to be clear, but you want to be clear in the sense that you're there to help, not that you're there just, you know, purely self-motivated and self-interested. Right. And, and, they, and what's beautiful about that, and you make this point in the book, when you have that approach, you actually make more money. You're yeah. more successful. Your customers are more loyal. You're close. So yeah, I love this. I love this um, truth about selling. Like the more we focus on serving our customers, mm -hmm. the more we understand what's important to them and help them solve their problems, and really t embrace the right approach, we we win. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's like we don't <laughs> lose. It's like do the right thing, but it's going to cost you. No, do the right thing and you're yeah. actually going to make more money. And you're it's 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 one of the few maybe I don't know if it's the few professions. I I I thought through that, but I know it's true for selling. Maybe short term, maybe today it doesn't work. Maybe today, if I tell them the truth, I've definitely had situations where I say, I don't do that. And right. I, I could have, you know, but I would argue I just saved probably a day of time. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you're being strategic on where you spend your time. Yeah. 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 I, well. Yeah. And that's, that's a mystery to most sellers these days is because, yeah, you think about it, especially again, not to pick on software world, but in subscription businesses in general mm -hmm. is managers say, look, you know, you've got a pipeline coverage requirement. Mm -hmm. So you've got a you know standard you oftentimes hear is 5X pipeline yeah. coverage requirement. Mm -hmm. So I gave a keynote to a SAS sales leadership group and, and I said, so I just want to throw this out there. It says, you understand your win rate is going to be the reciprocal of your pipeline coverage ratio. Mm. <laughs> so if you've got a 5X pipeline coverage requirement, you're going to have a 20% win rate. Right. Right. And there's just sort of this dead silence in the room. It's like, <laughs> just do the math. It works yeah, out almost it's every like, single yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You because know, they start with, they start with, we're not very good in sales. Yes. We have a low, we start there since, since we can't sell, let's throw more in the pipeline <laughs> and we'll sell less. We, we have we'll great sell, products and we'll sell less. <laughs> and we'll sell less. <laughs> and we'll sell less. It's like they're looking in the wrong. Yeah. You know, they, we're not catching any fish in this lake, so let's fish it more. More. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> With the same lure. And, and let's do everything. Let's just do more. Just, like there's other lakes and there's other lures and there's, and maybe you don't know how to cast because it's always in the tree. Yeah, right. Are you liking this word picture? I love this word picture. Yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, and it's not just... fun either. I was talking to a sales rep yesterday and we're, He's telling me this whole thing, and he was like, "Well, make two hundred. It takes me two hundred calls to talk to blah blah blah." And I got it. It just sounded awful. It was all about filling the funnel. And I said, "Well, do you think there's a better way? I mean, do you think we could?" And he goes, "Oh, I've been doing this for twenty years. This is just the way it works." The and way I'm, it is. And it just—it's like he's—he's he's already just decided that. Yes. It's, but it happens all the time. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This idea of saying, look, which is the way I approached it as, as both personally and as building teams is let's let's figure out what we need to do to achieve the win rate we want. Right. And then let's scale our process based on that so we can replicate <laughs> our win rate. Right. And this is... Again, this is one of these what moments for, for most sales leaders these days because they've come into an environment where they sort of adopted this quote-unquote predictable revenue playbook and it's all based mm -hmm. on yeah how much crap we can put in the top of the funnel and we'll just close a thin percentage of that mm -hmm. as opposed yeah. to saying, well, let's sell the way we want to sell. Let's figure out how to get the, the results we <laughs> want to get and then figure out how can we scale that while maintaining mm -hmm. the, the win rate that we want. Yeah, I've always argued that it, sorry, and go ahead. No, go ahead. That was it. I was just, and I've always argued that it all came from sort of this manufacturing military mindset. It's like, you know, it's like, we have this approach, you do it, you replicate it. And, you know, you, you just follow this process and you have this much error and you just keep, it's like versus the art of what you, you know, you've talked about in the book is right. the art of selling and learning and learning how to execute. And, and it, it, it will, um, it's, it, you have less control. You feel like you have less control as a leader, right? Because you're, you're giving them, you're giving them autonomy to make decisions. And what we would say, drop the rope and start to, mm -hmm. instead of putting, pulling right. the customer and putting, putting pressure on them. And, um, but if you trust your team and you trust them to learn about the customer and you, they're going to sell more, they're going to win more, but it's a completely different way to, manage or lead your team and think about your your pipeline as you said and how to sell well i think the irony that i pointed on several occasions is that through the growth of what we've seen over the last well the tech industry in general but let's just say in the last 14 years and the SaaS business excuse me it's all these companies that have mm -hmm. created been created to disrupt existing marketplaces and provide mm -hmm. you know a new way of looking at the world right is they've all defaulted to the most compliancy-oriented, conformity-based selling processes that that accept no disruption. disruption. Yeah. Mm, right. And it's it's I find it so curious is yeah, these companies, ah, but this is a really disruptive company, but man, we are most rigid, unbending sales <laughs> process possible. And which is just, like I said, it's just it's not working, right? There, yeah. sure, there are companies that have succeeded using variations of model, but yeah, people take the wrong message from that. They say, well, it's the model that enabled it. And so, no, it was the company and the product that happened to be hit at the right time. They could have used other models and achieve the same results. Um, yeah. So we've, good... we're at this point now, though it's, it's, you know, this, this whole SDR AE model is creaking and um you know, people to really be paying attention and think, okay, well, what's, what's coming next. And for me, as you can tell from the book, I think what's next is, Hey, when you think about it from perspective of the buyer is that again, pick on software, yeah, you know, pick one category, make conversational intelligence, right? That's because mm -hmm. one, we all know, we know the prominent vendors. I don't know, two years ago, maybe there were a dozen companies doing it. Now there's literally like 40 companies or more that are doing it. So from the buyer's perspective, if the products all look alike, which they fundamentally do, they all fundamentally do the same things, the priced all basically the same, on what basis do you make your decision? 
Yeah. Well, you're making a decision based on your experience, the buying experience you have with them, because that's the only thing that's different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The who. The who. And so... Yeah. So or the this, how maybe the experience the who or the yeah, how yeah this experience but but the point is it's your experience but with the seller the mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yeah even the challenger years ago talked about this as being the critical decision point and other analysts have since then is you as a seller you're the difference maker mm -hmm. so if if you're going to use the same old rigid sales process and you come across using the same tactics sound just like the same BS that everybody else is giving them yeah you're not going to win yeah. So those people that bring the human to it, they're going to win. Well, Tom, you know, I, I think this is going to be a really good place for us to stop today. Are you pulling the, the co-host? This is when you pull I the am. That's what I, I, I just. You're on a power trip. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot. I'm sitting back here just making all kind of decisions. You have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> all the dials. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got Sam Cassidy. She's a producer. She's doing the behind the scenes. You're the on-air talent. Yes. And you're making all the big executive decisions. Exactly. And you're uh, just yeah, having yeah. fun, baby. Just I learning and having fun. But yeah. What, what a great, I love his perspective. I love yep. Andy's perspective on our role. Uh, and how, I mean, it really does what he's talking about in this first episode and this first part is it really changes everything. How we think about our role, our beliefs and our approach to selling drives our behavior. Yep. And, and, and so I love the setup and I love where we're going in part two. The way he talks about the four pillars of success is radically different than anything you're going to hear if you pick up a book on how to sell or you listen to thought leaders. I mean, this he's going to talk about things like generosity. He's going to talk about curiosity and connection. You can't miss this next episode that we're going to have that follows because it's a great place here to shift from the foundation of how we see our role and why we need to change the way we sell. And now he's going to dive into kind of the tactical things we need to be successful. So if you love this episode, let us know. Remember, if you're passionate about we what we're passionate about, which is teaching people to be other-centered at home and at work, let us know. Please share the podcast and give us comments because that's the best way for people to find us. And to let us know what we're doing has impact and is helping you. So thanks for joining us for another episode of Sales with Aslan. Mm -hmm.